episode 24. Do you have an epic fishing story to tell? We want to hear it. Go to tell.fish slash guest in your browser and sign up to become a fishing legend today. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast, where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. Okay, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Captain Adam Lambert from Orange Blossom Adventures out of Tampa Bay. Captain Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, how you got started in, in fishing and where you got your love for it. Well, um, it's it's an interesting question because it starts in a much different estuary than this. Uh, I really didn't grow up with any kind of access to inshore fishing like we have here. I grew up probably along the only stretch of coast in Florida that I can think of anyway that doesn't have redfish. Really? Where's that? Uh, Fort Lauderdale. And oh, yeah. Basically, you've got to run a good bit north or south to really get into redfish country. There's all the intercoastal there, uh, seawall, it's not mangroves, it's deep, it's not oyster bars. It does, it's just, for whatever reason, man, we've got great snook fishing over there. We've yeah. got tarpon year-round, but I just didn't grow up with uh, with any redfish. Huh. Pretty, pretty lucky, though. I had a great childhood fishing in the Gulf Stream. You know, you go out so so little and all of a sudden you know you look at the depth finder and you're a few hundred feet and there's dolphin right on the boat and sailfish you know it's it's pretty great but i just i I can't i can't describe how i fell in love with redfish the first time i caught one yeah that's what makes tampa so special well there's there's definitely something about them absolutely so do you recall when it was that you first uh caught a redfish yeah um I was a teenager, moved up to the panhandle of Florida, and mm-hmm. I started fishing up there uh, in the northernmost area of the Gulf of Mexico, and that really opened my eyes to, to redfish. That was the first first few that I caught were up there. I went to Florida State, and so I'd drive down on the weekends and fish up there, um, but I really didn't get into, to, to be honest, I didn't get into big redfish until I moved down in here in the Bay Area. Yeah, you get, you get the bull reds that, that move in and out of of tampa bay there right we do we do but um i mean i like spending most of my time in the northern most most part of the bay way up in the backwaters do it pretty unconventionally i've kind of found myself into uh taking about a 30 foot pontoon boat up into the backwaters and fishing six to eight lines simultaneously so it's not really style that you really see around here yeah so so you're fishing live baits or cut baits a little bit of both mostly live yeah my bread and butter yeah, you mentioned the northern end of the Tampa Bay there. Can, can you just describe for the listeners who, who may not be familiar with that area? I mean, it is a really big body of water. I mean, it is a big bay, and there's a whole lot of area in there. You know, can you kind of describe it to people and, and what it's like um, fishing in there? Yeah, that's exactly right. It is a lot of water, and it's constantly moving. But, you know, a majority of it, it just doesn't get really deep. And there's oyster bars everywhere, uh, different sandbars and ledges and a lot of different, especially the northernmost part of the bay, mm-hmm. you know, from, say, Clearwater, Safety Harbor, to Oldsmar, to the town and country area. Basically, everything north of the Courtney Campbell Causeway 
I mean, it's all mangroves and it's all, there's so many different little creeks and uh, nooks and crannies, if you will, in the backwaters there, it's seemingly endless. When you start learning all the spots there, it's, there's, there's always fish to get on. Yeah. Um, but you'll find yourself spending a vast majority of the time you fish in, you know, less than two foot of water. Mm-hmm. So the, so the north end of the bay is qu- quite a bit different than the, than the south end, I guess, where it comes out through this Skyway. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. You go down to the Skyway, Egmont, um, Fort DeSoto, the, the, the bottom part of the bay is a whole different world. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Now, that opens you up to a lot of other species, too. Yeah. You know, they've got cobia. I mean, you can, you can go down there by the Skyway and catch goliaths. You can catch kingfish. It really opens up to a lot different. It's a big tarpon spot, too, right? Huge. Yeah, absolutely. You can troll the shipping channel. You can go out there and live bait big baits. You know, troll <laughs> artificials and catch big smoker kingfish in the right time of year. Oh, um, wow. But no, typically we spend about 80% of our time, I'd say, just north of the Courtney Camel Causeway, uh, fishing backwaters. Yeah, and as, as we were saying, that I mean, that just that area alone is so huge, that's probably more than um you can cover yeah yeah i mean it's probably more water than you have time to cover right oh yeah i mean you 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 could be on the water every day in the bay and not get tired yeah not get bored you know it's it's always changing i find that seasonally you know you get in and out of uh certain routines just based on what the fish are doing and what's running what's biting so the bay in itself is an estuary that can keep a man busy his whole life (laughs) yeah i mean the the handful of times i've been over there i just i just love it like you say you got mangrove shorelines you got deep channels uh it's it's a great place and uh you got a lot of fish too yeah and and that's the the cool thing about it too growing up offshore fishing my best days weren't defined by um you know a dozen sailfish or 15 you know dolphin and my best days are defined when i look back on it multi-species days yeah. i get excited personally when you run offshore you catch a dorado then you catch a wahoo then you catch you know what i mean you start yep, yep. racking up these species yeah similar to that i guess tampa bay what's so special about it to me is that it's the inshore version of that right you know not too long ago i took a guy out and he mentioned wanting to get an inshore slam mm-hmm. which is three species you know you're snook trout redfish mm-hmm. well he got that in the first couple hours and then we just went after more we got a mackerel we got a snapper we got a sheep's head uh what else did we catch that day i don't know but it was about seven or eight eight or nine different species by the end of the get day and the guy was so tickled about it it kind of reminded me about uh just about multi-species days and, and how yeah. cool that really is oh yeah it's it's always a great day on the water when you get a slam even if one of them is just a little dink you know I, I there's something about that i i know exactly what you mean it's hard to describe but uh man it's it just really is cool to to catch all of the species in one day like that yeah it, it really is pretty neat man because there's a lot of places you can go and you'll get on that certain fish and you can get clocked in on them and it's really cool but uh it's really neat to, to mix it up and change it up and not get bored. And, and that rod tip bends, you really truly have no idea what it is. Yeah. You know, you just really don't know until you see it. That That's one of the coolest things about saltwater fishing. You just never know what's on the other end. It can be anything. 
Well, um, I, I was going to ask you, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the Big Reds earlier. So you, you said when you first started fishing up in the Panhandle, you were catching the smaller ones. But down in Tampa Bay, you started getting onto the big ones. So tell me tell me what you do different when you're going for the big dogs. Well, to be honest, I have to clarify on that. That's really just more of um, lifestyle and convenience. Uh-huh. I was having to drive a little bit. I was in school at the time. Yeah. So I really wasn't fishing that hard there's big big redfish up there i just never put myself on them yeah Um, since moving to the tampa bay and getting into the industry and being on the water at least five days out of every week um it's just a whole it's it's an apple to an orange that was just a different part in my life but i guess i just didn't get hooked until i caught a big one yeah that was down here when i say big you know i don't mean i mean i see everybody in uh you know off north carolina and texas and some of these other places catching these 40 inch plus monsters Mm -hmm. Uh, i haven't been lucky enough to to see one of those firsthand yet but we catch in the 30 to 32 sometimes 33 34 inch range yeah and man that on light tackle there's just something about it oh absolutely yeah so so those are over the slot fish right for people who may not know the florida size those are you know it's a quick picture and then right back in the water revive and get excited watching it swim away yeah what i what i do differently really isn't anything to be honest um we target the fish in our favorite spots and sometimes it could be an under slot sometimes an over sometimes right in the middle we use the same baits the same approach i really don't change anything up and there's days where we go out and catch you know mid slot size three, four, five of them, whatever. Wow. Next day, same spot, you catch two or three or three or four, whatever it is, and they're all over 30. So <laughs> I, I really, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're moving around, and you, you certainly don't complain when a, when a big group of the uh, big big ones come by, that's for sure. No, that's, that's exactly right. You don't, you, know, you put in your work and time, and you, you pay your dues, so to speak. You you learn, and when you when you when it finally comes together like that, and you go out and you have a an epic day where you catch seven redfish and three out of the three or four out of the seven of them are over thirty inches. What is it they say? You don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? <laughs> That's right, absolutely. But you know, you you were saying earlier, there's just something about redfish, and I think for me, it's the fact that you know even the smallest ones are hard fighters you know if you catch a small trout it's there's not a lot of fight to them you know, the bigger ones yeah but redfish i mean from small to even those big ones it's they they fight hard and get harder as they go i mean is that kind of your experience absolutely yeah. uh, i mean in short as they're inch for inch pound for pound in my opinion the best fighting fish you can hook into yeah yep they are awesome cool well when we get back, Captain Adam is going to tell us an epic inshore saltwater fishing story. Stay tuned. If high-end optics aren't in your budget, or if you go through sunglasses like dough balls on a brim hook, there's a great option out there that's easy on the wallet. With many different styles of frames and lens options at very affordable prices, there is no excuse to be fishing blind. Go to tell.fish gear in your web browser to check out this line of budget optics that we really like. All right, we are back with Captain Adam from Orange Blossom Adventures, and he fishes in Tampa Bay. 
And uh, so we've been talking about some really good redfish action uh, that he gets on there. So I can only uh, imagine how good uh, one of your epic days is going to be. So so tell us a little bit about that. Oh, man, it wasn't even that long ago, to be honest. Um, just going on two months now. Mm-hmm. We were just killing them one afternoon. Big redfish after big redfish. And... Uh, I can't remember exactly how big they all were, but I think the average was about 28 and a half or so. I mean, it was, it was a great afternoon, but what made it so special is that when we could have concluded the day on more than a successful note, Mm -hmm. we had some live blue crabs Oh yeah! uh, on the way back to the boat ramp. There was a nice little bridge there that uh, I knew was holding some big black drum. Mm -hmm. So we stopped just kind of, you know, an extra bonus inning. Threw down a couple of blue crabs <laughs> and doubled up on black drum, big ones. I mean, you know, 25, 30 pound, you know, nice, nice black drum. Oh, and, man. And uh, taught them for a good while on little like 4,000 uh, class <laughs> reels, spinning reels with 15 pound braid. I mean, not not your big offshore tackle, just right. horsing them up, you know? Now, we're, so, and you were under, you were at a bridge too when you hooked them up, right? Yeah, this is at a bridge. So, relatively speaking for our area it's it's deep water mm-hmm. you know we're fishing we're catching all these reds and say 15 16 inches to 18 inches more or less and then you stop at this bridge and you drop the live blue crab down it's 15 to 20 foot deep depending on where you're at in the bridge you know for around here that's it's some deep water so yeah. we in these two big black drum everybody's on a you know epic high note because it was a battle of a lifetime oh yeah we got some great pictures through the black drum back because once they get really that size they're they're so full chalk full of worms yeah i've I've heard that so we let them go one last crab we throw it down just to see if we could get lucky and get a third black drum sure enough it wasn't down there about a minute rod bent <laughs> line just screaming but it didn't it didn't seem like a black drum you know it was just peel and drag in one direction and just going with it yeah now black drum don't normally scream off drag like that do they no they they really fight more like a a grouper, if I had to make a comparison. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a big grouper down on the bottom. But they want to dig and pull, not run. Right. This one picked it up and just started running with it. Hmm. So, again, like you were asking earlier, talking about earlier, just that excitement of not knowing what it yeah. is. It's something about saltwater fishing, right? Well, it wound up being about a four-and-a-half-foot bull shark, which was just... Oh. Kind of the icing on the cake of an already epic day for these guys. You know oh what I mean? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, and so and this is on light tackle. I mean, did, were you you weren't wired up or anything, were you? No. Um. But I had about an eighty pound leader. Okay. And I had pre rigged with a big circle hook and an egg weight. Okay. Uh, for the black drum, so yeah. we had the advantage there. But what I found with the sharks in here is it's just because I don't fish for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the luck of the hook set. You can get that perfect hook set and catch them on 30-pound leader, you know, if you just get the lucky hook set. But yeah. nine times out of ten, you're going to get cut off. Yeah, you know? right. Especially with a big mouth of teeth like that. That Those bull sharks look like they have those uh, crooked teeth that are sticking out every which way, don't they? That's right. That's yeah. right. And, but every now and then, you, you know, you'll get lucky. You'll get the hook just right to where the leader doesn't touch a tooth and but for the most part the ones that you will land around here with that kind of tackle are going to be little bonnet heads mm-hmm. little black tips um, but yeah we get some big bull sharks through here <laughs> you know if you're just not not ready for them it's going to be a about a two second drag screaming and then explosion you know 
Yeah. Left wondering what it was. Man, so you went into a double extra innings with that shark. How long did that take to land? Well, that was on a bigger rod. That was on oh, 6,000. Okay. okay, gotcha. 20 pounds, so a little bit bigger and beefier. Uh, the two with the black drum, those were on our regular redfish tackle, a little yeah. 4,000. The shark still took uh, maybe 10 minutes or the longest 10 minutes you could imagine, you know? <laughs> I bet. Now, d- did he go out from the bridge pretty quick, or were you having to navigate around the we, pilings? We, we, we had a favorable tide. I still wound up having to pull the anchor, though. Okay. But, uh, when fishing under the bridge like that, I tie my fender off to the rope, the anchor rope, so I can just okay. quickly pop it off the cleat and throw it and come back for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and when you were describing catching those, hooking up on two black drum under a bridge at, at one time, I was just thinking, man, were they like going around the different pilings? And that that must have been a little crazy when you first hooked those up. It was. Yeah, it, uh, it was. <laughs> wow. And all three of those on crabs, huh? I guess I didn't know bull sharks uh, like to eat crabs like that. Man, they'll eat just about Anything they can get their mouth on, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That, that that wouldn't surprise me at all, man. I mean, I've had them hit cut dead bait on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had them come and get fish that I was fighting. Oh yeah. Uh, and the funniest, still, and it's happened multiple times now. When when we're on the flats and it's so shallow, a big enough one, you actually kind of see his wake, and you can see him coming a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he was headed for a bait, and I'm just trying to get it away because I don't want to lose my tackle. I don't want to yeah. mess up our spread. And you're pumping this bait in he's i use egg weights i use a, a knocker rig most of the time yep mm-hmm. so you're pumping it in fast the weight's right in front of the circle hook and the bait and it's not swimming naturally at all oh you know, right, it's just right getting pulled through the water and dragged and usually it'll have snagged some grass by then and i've had those bull sharks chase that thing and it doesn't even look anything remotely natural <laughs> you know what i mean i guess when they decide they want something they're they're gonna get it one way or the other that's exactly right. <laughs> oh man, that's that's pretty epic catching sharks on the flats like that. Um, you know, I, obviously that that one you caught there under the bridge is a little bit deeper, but um, just to see them out on the flats. Oh, you'd be surprised how shallow water they get in too. Yeah, man. Well, that that really is an, an epic day to not only be catching the the big reds like that, but then to get on the big black drum. And then uh, cap it off with a big shark like that, man. I I know you I had some. Yeah, I know you had some happy clients that day. Yeah, man, they were pretty excited. I don't think they'll soon forget it. No, I don't. I don't bet they will. So, well, before before we let you go here, just just tell me, uh, kind of how you run your normal charters. I mean, you you know, run like six hours, start in the morning, kind of thing, or how's it usually work? You know, it's based on the tides for me. Okay. Um, Depending on what kind of tides we have when, when somebody's wanting to book, sometimes the mornings are better, sometimes the afternoons are better. It really just depends on what's going on tidal-wise. Okay. Um, and sometimes you don't even really need the six hours. Based mm-hmm. on the, the tides, you know, four hours is plenty. Right, and right. If if get out there and it's still doing good, like I'm kind of unfortunately known I've got a reputation for giving a little extra free time usually if the fish are biting because... I may do it for a living and do it almost every day, but I still get just as excited watching somebody catch a fish as I did the first time I caught mine. It, it, it's hard to leave fish that are biting. I, I, I could imagine even, you know, even if you're thinking, oh, I got to get back and clean up everything. It's just, it's just good stuff. That's absolutely right. But, uh, but yeah, I usually pick people up from a really beautiful park here in the area. Okay. Um, it's called Felipe Park and 
it's just absolutely gorgeous. They got some old Indian mounds. Oh, cool. So for around here to see hills, you know, it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, but absolutely. They're, they're big, huge, covered in green grass, old mature trees, got a lot of history to the place. Um, but it's beautiful. It's perfectly located for where I like to fish with people. Uh, and it's free parking, so it's a good spot to meet them. I'm usually there waiting with all the bait in the live oil, the ice and the coolers, everything ready to go. Um, awesome. They got a little floating dock that people walk down. They hop on board, and we head out. There you go. Well, I I tell you what. Well, have a good time. Yeah. Well, as I was saying before, Tampa Bay is just an awesome uh, estuary. And as you've heard here with uh, Captain Adam, there's plenty of epic fish to catch in there. So I would highly encourage everybody to uh, uh, go visit and uh, go look up Captain Adam and uh, go, go get yourself some fish. So, uh, Captain, thanks so much for being on today and sharing that story with us. Absolutely. I enjoyed every minute of it. I appreciate it. And we look forward to having you come fish with us too. All right, man. I'm, I'm down for that. Thanks for listening to today's show. We really appreciate you. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show so that you don't miss an episode and to help make sure that others don't miss the boat. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.